May these words of my mouth and these meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was a very unseasonably cool 60 degree morning that Jerry woke his entire family up for. Jerry was standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon for the very first time and he woke his entire family, his wife and his kids up so that they could be here for this moment, so that they could be here for the sunrise. But if you knew Jerry, and really even if you didn't know Jerry, what happened next might surprise you. See, Jerry just stood at 5'6", but because Jerry had shoulders like this, and he was just a really tough dude, he was one of those guys that kind of more stands like a bulldog than an actual person. And so it might surprise you that when the sun came up over the mountains and painted the canyons spectacular colors audibly and noticeably, you could hear Jerry's breath just get taken away. And you won't admit it, but his daughters caught it. For the very first time, they saw their dad cry. They watched as he just let a single tear come down his cheek. And he just stood there. And he just watched as the sun rose up over the horizon. And it seemed like a while, but at last Jerry said really the the only thing he could think of to say. Really the only thing that he could say. Wow. Have you ever been there before? Now I don't actually mean maybe standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, but have you been in one of those moments before. One of those wow moments. One of those moments that just takes your breath away. Maybe it is being in nature. Maybe it's standing on top of a mountain and, and after the climb, seeing that vista that, that really does, just it takes your breath away. Maybe it's being out in the country and, and laying down and, and looking up at, at millions of stars and just saying, wow. You know, maybe it's not nature, but maybe, maybe it's in those moments like, like seeing your son or your daughter born. And what else can you say except, wow. Maybe it's not those milestones necessarily in life that, that take your breath away, but maybe it's the simple things. Just being around with your loved ones. Just having your entire family gathered together for a meal. And, and what can you say except for, wow, this is great. Maybe it's the arts. Maybe it's hearing a piano concerto by, by Brahms and, or Bach. And, and it's just so excellently done. It, wow. Maybe it's seeing a, a piece of artwork in a museum that does that. It, it just takes your breath away. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in, in one of those moments that it just makes you say, wow. Do you know why those moments happen? Well, God tells us. 
He tells us this at the beginning of Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. He says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Why does nature take our breath away? The glory of God is in nature. Romans chapter 1 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Those moments take our breath away because there is a God who when he gave his breath away, put life into you and all creation. Breathtaking moments. We maybe experienced a few, but more than those moments, well, maybe we've experienced moments that, well, do something else with our breath. Instead of a, wow, it's more of a, ugh, moment. You ever experienced those moments before? You know, what I didn't finish the story about Jerry is driving back from Arizona uh, up to the Midwest. He he got a, a, a flat in his tire in the middle of Nebraska and, and had to wait for days. Or or maybe it's it's your child that is or was a wonder in your eyes that now keeps your wide, eyes wide awake at night. Or maybe it's them in their teenage years doing something with their eyes that makes you maybe not say, wow. Maybe it's the spouse that at one time, you know, just made you speechless in their presence. Well, now their speech kind of made you feel less than. Maybe the soundtrack to your life doesn't sound so much like a concerto as it does, well, chaotic music. And the outlook on life isn't painted with vivid colors. It's more of pale pastels. You ever experienced moments like that? Do you know why those moments happen? It's because of potholes. Potholes are why those moments happen. What are potholes? Potholes are this. If you're following along with our worship guide this morning, here is the first fill in the blank if you want to fill it in. Potholes are the things in life. They are the things in life that everybody experiences. Everyone will inevitably and eventually experience a pothole, something that nudges us off our path. You know, and what are these potholes? They could be just that. They could be a, a hole in your car tire. They could be a, another car incident. Maybe you get pulled over. Maybe they could be more serious than that. It could be a death of a loved one. Depression that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a disease that is is taking away your parents' memory. Potholes can be anything. It could be the deadline that you have at work or the fact that you're late at work and you spilled your coffee all over yourself. Potholes are anything in life that nudge you off your path. It's the bully on the bus or the bully at work is a pothole in life. It's anything that makes you go, man, my life should be or could be going this way, but it's not. Instead, I'm going in this direction. And I don't mean to diminish any of the potholes that you're thinking of in your life, but I will say this about potholes. They're not necessarily a big deal. They shouldn't really derail our entire life. Unless, of course, they're unresolved. They remain unfixed, 
or unfilled, well, then they start to really break us down. Then they really start to exhaust us. And if you drive over enough potholes enough times, well, the worst thing that can happen is that these potholes nudge us off our path and and get us going down a road that we never meant to be going down in the first place. That's a pothole. And this sermon series is about those. It's called potholes, but the reality is we're not going to talk about potholes so much during this series because there's too many of them. They're too varied. They're too great. They come in all different shapes and sizes. And we couldn't even begin to scratch the surface of the amount of potholes that the people in this room are dealing with. Instead, we're going to talk about what fills potholes in. We're going to talk about how some of the most basic, most fundamental teachings of Christianity, who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit? Why do we baptize? And, and what is my purpose? How these things that we often think of as just doctrine or just theology or just things that I have to know if pastor asks in Bible class are actually the foundational things. They are the cement that fills in the holes in your life, fixes any potholes, fills any potholes, and flattens any potholes so that your ride through this life to life in Christ isn't a miserable, bumpy one, but it's a smooth one. That's what we're talking about with this sermon series called Potholes. And today we're going to start out by talking about knowing God. We're going to read our gospel lesson for today right now. It comes from Matthew chapter 5. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, rather. And we're going to start reading at verse 25. And I I want to encourage you to keep your finger in your Bible right there because we're going to be referring to this portion of Scripture throughout the rest of our sermon this morning. Here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle, getting towards the end of his sermon on the mount. He's preaching, he's teaching to a crowd of disciples that have gathered to hear him. And he shares this. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 25. Jesus tells us, knowing God, who he is, what he does, that is the fodder that fills in the holes in your life. This is what he says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, add by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, 
Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the gospel of our Lord. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. He says, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about your clothes. Jesus says, don't worry. And I have to ask, what is Jesus trying to get across here? Because is he just giving the inspiration for what would become the 1988 hit by Bobby McFerrin? Don't worry. Be happy. Is he just going all Bob Marley on us? Going, hey, no worries, man. Or is he just providing fodder for, uh, you know, people who write uh, um, fortune cookies? Saying things like, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough to worry about. What's Jesus getting at? Because it's one thing to say to people, don't worry. Don't worry. Hey, relax. Calm down. It's okay. It's another thing entirely to live without worry. If you have any doubt in your mind that you experience potholes in your life, perhaps worry is the greatest evidence there there is for the fact that we experience potholes. I mean, think about it. When is the last time you experienced a day where, where you thought about the next and you really had no concern, no worries, no thoughts about what will occur? No, it doesn't happen. Christ knows that we have worries. And that's why he gave us this section of scripture. That's why he decided to preach on it in his Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus didn't just say worry, don't worry, and and base it on nothing. What Jesus did is when he said don't worry and made that a command and make no mistake about it, it is a command. Do not worry. What he went and did was base that command in one of the most fundamental truths revealed in all of scripture. He based it in the truth that your God, know this, your God is the God of of creation. Let me step away from that for just a second. How do you know that your God is the God of creation? Well, the first thing is, is that God gives us something in all of us called the natural knowledge of God. The natural knowledge of God is God making himself known to all people through the created world and our conscience. We read it. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. You step out in nature and you look and know there is something greater. Something made this. You steal and you feel guilty. That's your conscience telling you there is someone, something out there setting a standard for right and wrong. We call it the natural knowledge of God. God revealing himself to all people through the created world. But God... He didn't leave it to the breeze and the trees and the bees for us to believe who this God is. Because as good as the natural knowledge is, it it doesn't tell you everything about him, right? And so he gave us this. He gave us the revealed knowledge of God. The revealed knowledge of God is scripture. And it is God through scripture revealing knowledge people would have otherwise never have known. It is God through scripture telling us how this world came about. It's God through the Bible telling us how the world got the way it did. Why, how, 
sin and evil are here. And most importantly, it told us what we never could have found by going on a hike in the woods. And that is God did something about it. God came into this world to redeem this world. To win back his creation and bring new life to everything in the world. That's the revealed knowledge of God. Now back to the text. What's, what's Jesus doing here? Jesus in this text is giving evidence for the natural knowledge of God when he talks about the birds and the flowers and the grass of the field. But then he ties in something about the revealed knowledge of God. And he takes it a layer deeper. He adds a nuance to it. He says, yeah, you have a great God. You have a great God who made this world. You have a great God who gave life to you and all creation. You have a great God who gave life eternal to you through the life-giving work of Jesus Christ. But your God, as great as he is, isn't just great. Know this. You have a greater than God. Your God is greater than anything else in all creation. Just listen to it again. Jesus says this, he tells you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The God who made this life maintains this life. You have a greater than God. He puts it this way. He says, if, if I can create life, make all of life, can I not sustain it? Can I not give you the food that you need for life? He says, if I can do the greater thing and make a human body, can I do the littler thing and make sure that your body has clothes? I'm a greater than God and you are my people. And that means that the birds, the the birds, the fields, the flowers, how much greater are you, my crown of my creation, than them? You have a greater than God. So don't worry. God is greater than the disease that is knocking you off your path in life. God is greater than the debt that you personally have because God is greater than all the debt of sin that we owe him. Your God is greater than anything that you fear. Your God is greater than anything that you are worried about. Your God is greater than every sin that you've done. He's greater than any darkness and dark path you've ever been down. Your God is greater than any fear of corruption you have in the government. He's greater than the corruption that's in your heart. Your God is greater than the 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 moralism, the terrorism, the extremism that's in our world. And he's greater than any extremism that's going on in your home. God's greater than the storms that have hit the East Coast in Florida. God is greater than the hurricane that might feel like your stressful life at times. God is greater than everything. You have a greater than God. So don't worry. You're looking at me like, I still worry. If I can be honest with you, your pastor still worries. 
Why do we still worry? If you ask a a, a little child, let's say a five-year-old, you know, who is your God? Tell me about your God. What's he like? What does he do? What they might say is that my God is almighty. My God is my father. Because that's how we teach about God, right? That's that's how we can come to understand our God. And, and so we call him almighty and we call him our father because that's how we relate to him. And we put fancy words on it once we get to be adults. We call it the omnipotence of God, the all power, right? We call it the omniscience, the all knowingness of God and the omnipresence that God is everywhere. And really, if I ask you who your God is, what's he like? Well, you might say the same thing, that God is the God Almighty. After all, we confess it every single week. Every single week here at the Way Church, we we confess our faith, and we do it using often the Apostles' Creed. And what do we say? I believe in God the Father Almighty. We use the Nicene Creed, and what do we say? We believe in one God, God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We, we, we see it often enough. We confess it often enough. We're around it often enough. So why do we still worry? I'd say if there is one reason you experience potholes in your life, there's one reason that you have worries in your life, it's because you're not living what you're confessing. The reason that Jesus rhetorically asked, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life is because he's condemning a lie that we all profess, even if it doesn't come out of our mouths. And that's that everything depends on me. I earn what I get. And when Jesus said to us, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And see the flowers of the field, how they grow. They do not labor, I spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. What he was doing was giving us medication for a disease and an allergy that we have towards the first commandment. He was giving us a pill, oftentimes a tough pill to swallow, to eradicate our God complex. The fact that we think it's all about us. Because, let me put it positively, what Jesus is saying is, don't worry about anything because everything comes from me. Everything. The beautiful view in mountains, that comes from me. God gave you that. Go look at your grandchild or your child. God gave you that. That laugh that you enjoyed with your friends or your coworkers, God gave you that. God gave you friends as well. Look down. I mean it. Everyone look down right now. Your shoes. God gave you that. God gives you everything. He gave you the full moon and he gave you marriage and he gave you margaritas. God gave you sunsets and he gave you sex and he gave you sushi or he gave you steak. God gave you all of that. That song that you put on loudly and dance to when no one's listening, God gave you that as well. How many of you have ever seen an angel before? 
before you go grab the hand of your spouse or girlfriend, Don Juan, you haven't seen an angel before. But if you could, what you would see is 10,000 times 10,000 angels, an angel army guarding you in all of your ways. God gave you that. God gave you things that you can't see or understand. He gave you the H2Os holding themselves together, which gives you water. He gave you the solar system, and he gave you your nervous system. He gave you your digestive system. God gave you that. All of that is from your greater than God. So don't worry. God has provided you and will provide you in all your ways. And don't, don't get me wrong, there are things in life that we should care about. And I'm using that positively. We should care about our loved ones. We should, we should care about having food to eat. And we should care about having clothes for, for wearing. But what we need to be careful about is when those cares become worries and then they become potholes. Because potholes, if anything, put a barrier between you and your God. I don't know why we've desensitized ourselves to worry, given ourselves excuses to worry. We say, oh, I'm just a worrier, or I'm just high strung, and we act like it's okay to have concerns, to stay awake at night. You want to know what God says about people who worry? He calls them pagans, godless. He says the pagans worry. The pagans run after these things, people who don't know God says you don't need to worry you can't change the outcomes to whatever it is you're worrying about but you have a god who is greater than whatever you're worrying about so do not worry friends are you starting to see how knowing your god starts to fill in the potholes in your life starting to see how that makes sense that having a god who is greater than and knowing a god who is greater than fills in flattens anything that you're experiencing in life. But can I tell you something that's even greater at filling in potholes? Something that's even better than knowing your God? Is that God knows you. Is that you know a God who knows you. Jesus says this, he says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows, your heavenly father knows that you need them. You have a God who knows you. Let me put it this way. You have a God who is an, I got you God. And if I need to translate that for some of you, here's, here's what, here's what it means. If you have a friend who you're hanging out with and you go, oh, I forgot my wallet. I can't pay to get in. And he goes, I got you. That means that he's going to provide for you. But on a deeper level, if you're hanging out with that same friend and you're, you're pouring your heart out to him or her about how things aren't going well and they listen to you and they say to you, I got you. It means they understand you. It means they know you. And that is what your greater than God is like. He's an I got you God. He's a God who knows you. 
He's a God who understands you. He's a God who calls you his child and has brought you into that relationship with him. You want to know the most incredible part about this section? It's after Jesus gets done telling you that he's an I got you God and calling you his father in heaven who knows you by name and knows you better than know, than you know yourself. He says this. He says that famous part. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And there we see the paradox of the gospel. At the very same time that Jesus the Christ is standing on a mountain preaching about his kingdom, about his righteousness, and telling you to seek these kingdoms, to seek these righteousness, he says this, I got you. I know what you need, and I'm bringing it to you. Your righteousness, I know it. I know you. I know you need it. I know you won't find it on your own. I got you. So at the very same time I'm telling you to seek righteousness, I'm giving you my righteousness. Jesus talks about the birds in this section. He talks about how the birds do nothing, absolutely nothing, to get what they have. And yet, the I got you God gives it to them. And in a greater way than that, your God gives you what you need. This is how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived— the things God has prepared for those who love him. What he's talking about is a treasure stored up in heaven for you. What he's talking about is Christ for you. Who is the cement to fill in any potholes that you have in your life. Paul goes on to put it this way. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. It's pretty great to know your God. Knowing him is pretty good. Being known by him is far greater. Can I tell you about a guy who hit some potholes in his life? His name is Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he lived in Germany he hit a few potholes in his life. In, in the year 19, let's see, 31, he began teaching theology at the University of Berlin. As a few years later, while he was teaching about the power of prayer, uh, the Nazis rose to political power. And this started to change the way that, well, theology was taught in Germany. And after a while, in 1933, just two years, the Germany uh, Evangelical Church endorsed the Nazi regime. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer wasn't getting on board with that. In fact, a whole, a whole group of people weren't getting on board with it. And they called themselves the Confessing Church. And they opposed the Nazi regime. And they set up their own seminary. And they asked Dietrich Bonhoeffer to be the director of the seminary. And he accepted the position. And for six years he taught people about God's truths. He helped people know God at that seminary, but as you can imagine, the Gestapo didn't like that very much. So in 1939, he got on a boat and made his way over to America. He got off the boat. 26 days later, he got back on the boat with the intent to go back to Germany because what he realized is that he had a greater than God. He had a God who is even greater than 
the Nazis. He had a God who is even greater than whatever problems, whatever life-threatening perils he might experience, his God was greater. And so he went back to his people, he went back to his country, and the guy who used to be a confessor turned into a conspirator, and for several years, he helped out the Allies and many, many others by giving away intel information and also just helping families get out of Germany whose lives were in danger. Well, 1944, he was caught for his work, and he was put in the Tegel prison camp just outside of Berlin. He was forced to harsh labor. He was tortured there and eventually died for it. But before you think that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was was just someone who liked driving over potholes and so he did this to himself, think again because he was, he was just like you. He's just like me and even though his potholes looked a little different than ours, His potholes made him question who he was, who his God was, and what he was doing. A few months before he died, he wrote a poem called, Who Am I? And I'd like to read you the final stanza, is what he said. He said, Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today or tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others? And before myself, a contemptible whining weakling. Or something within me still like a beaten army, feeling in disorder from victory already achieved. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, you know me, O God, and I am thine. It was just months after this that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung on April 9th, 1945. Fourteen days later, Allied troops liberated that prison camp and freed those who were still alive there. But it didn't matter for Dietrich because he was known by a God who gave him liberation and freedom far greater than this world could know. What no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for Dietrich Bonhoeffer or you. God knows you. Know your God. Know this. You have a greater than God. But far greater than that, you have a God who knows you and who has brought you into a relationship, a permanent relationship of mutual belonging that is closer than anything else you could know. And he did it so that your path through this life to life in Christ isn't full of potholes. Amen.